Blog Talk Radio. Watching the guys play this past weekend. I'm looking forward to getting out, playing in front of the fans again, putting on a good show for them. You know, just continue to come out and play St. Peter football. There's only one Wally in the CFL. He's been a tremendous coach and general manager in the league, first with Calgary, and then, of course, the number of years with the Lions. Winning is not always easy. Well, I know how much work that these guys put in through training camp. It isn't easy. I don't, everybody works extremely hard to get to this point, and we're going to smile and have fun with it. I think I'm the most interesting player in, in the CFL, and, and that's what gets people talking about me. In fact, he could be probably one of the top five DBs in the league if he played there full time. Well, he's not Superman. I am only human, but, you know, a lot of people have confused me with Superman before. I'm not here to be pushed over. You can come at me. My name's in the papers because my name's on TV. I'm not backing down. I'm here for a reason. I'm here to play ball. Just know I'm not backing down from anybody. When you meet them in person, talk to them, they're just normal guys. They're really nice. They understand kind of what you're going through. They know what a team is like. They know the bond. So it was really nice to meet them. In some ways, you know, the league is in amazing shape. And from there is that I don't want us to think that it's good enough. And, you know, if we're going to get this league to where I think it deserves to be, that position of fundamental strength across the entire country, we have to work at things. We have to look at new ways of doing things. We have to be the most fan-engaged league in the, in the world. Today, lots of things to be happy about and excited about. But let's not be complacent and let's drive this league to a much bigger, stronger place. It's t- the lines of scrimmage in the Canadian game are a yard apart rather than on the tips of the ball. How do you okay. think that would affect play? Hey, you know, the, the difference is, hey, hey, NFL, we're like this, right? Right, right here, you're going inside, boy, you're going to get it. Right. You're going right. outside, I'm going with you, right? Right. Okay, but in ball, now I, now, now I got to square up. I got to square up and look at you, right? And when you start to make a move, then I'm going to turn my hips, all right? You're going to go, I'm going to go. Go, 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 go. There you go. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah there. you got it. That's football, Canadian style. How you doing today, sir? Right on. You, uh, you think the NFL going to three downs is a good idea? You like a 20-second play clock? No fair catch rule up there. A lot more scoring. CFL. Thanks a lot. Not getting much out of this guy. CFL, that's where the action is. It's all about being Canadian, you know? I met Clemens one night, uh, pinball, and uh, there was about 10 of us, and uh, he remembered everybody's name when he left. He said, Chris, see you later. Mark, see you later. Tim, see you later. And he remembered everybody's name. I was so taken back by that. I was like, you know, here's a person that doesn't have to know who you are, but chooses to because know you know you're important it's about being a person it's what you can do with it not what you can get out of it and i think that's good that's what i like about the CFL. i'm candid frank he's uh david morisuti david how you doing buddy i'm good how are you doing frank i can't complain and and uh been real busy and uh been real hot too and doing out exterior work in this kind of weather is quite draining quite grueling actually and uh but satisfying just the same so yeah so busy and 
I haven't had a mi- two minutes to rub together in a long time. It's been a very hectic time for me. Uh, how are things going with you? Well, I can say the same thing about doing the work outside. It's rewarding when you're, uh, especially someone who's a little bigger like myself, just to sweat away maybe a couple of pounds by doing some of the work. But <laughs> at the same time, you'd rather not be uh, sweltering in the heat while doing it. Yeah, well, you know, you, you can only push yourself so hard and consider that a warning to everybody out there, you know, depending on your age uh, and, um, you know, your system and what your system can handle. And you don't want to you don't want to overheat. And that's not a good thing either. So, yeah, so it's it's a great time of year. It's a great time for football. This is a this is the kind of weather that makes being a football player on the playing field really tough. You know, we forget about that. This is the kind of weather where a lot of players go down with cramps and uh we have to be careful, especially those young players um, that are playing football. You know, we've had over, over time had some catastrophic situations occur because of the heat, because uh, young bodies aren't indestructible. And I'm referring to those younger than, uh, you know, college and down and maybe even below college where their bodies aren't uh, fully developed and or uh, any of the weaknesses their bodies have uh, have been discovered heard some tragedies over the years so be careful out there in this heat and this goes also as a warning to the fans out there as well david yeah exactly i mean this is why they don't practice as long as uh as i mean they don't practice too long so they're not out all day you know and they try to you know get their water in um but it's tough to escape heat. I think uh, Saskatchewan has an indoor practice facility, if I'm not wrong. Some places do go indoors yep. to try to escape some of the uh, the heat. But, uh, and cold. Yeah. It, <laughs> exactly. I mean, if you're a football player, some will say that they, they love the, the sunny weather, then some will say that they uh, they they dread the snow. So it's, you, sometimes up here you can't uh, – it's kind of a – you can't. You have to pick your battles with what you uh, like and what you don't like. Yeah, you just have to be careful. You, you can't assume that you're indestructible, and that's that's one of the weaknesses we have as human beings. We 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 tend to think we're indestructible, and and that isn't always the case. So uh, be careful out there. Uh, enjoy the weather. Enjoy the time out there. That's always uh, a great thing, of course. And. Uh, enjoy the football that begins tomorrow night. And, uh, you know, uh, we, we spend a lot of time talking about the football games and, uh, we enjoy it. it it's part of what we enjoy and, and it's what we like to do. Uh, this week's, uh, big story, uh, has to be, it happened very early this week, uh, in the news cycle for us, uh, that cover the CFL Cavis Reed on Sunday night after winning their second in a row was fired. What do you what did you think of that move? And I and, and uh, now the word the league wanted him out. Yeah, I mean, well, the league is assuming uh, ownership of the of the team, so they obviously are aware of what's you know some of the decisions are being made. But um, I found that maybe just the timing was odd. I mean, we we'd assume that Cavus Street was on uh, you know on some on the hot seat based on how the last few seasons in uh, Montreal have gone. But I mean, then you listen to what uh, some of the comments from uh, Patrick uh, Boivin, I think that's how you say his name. I hope I didn't butcher his name. Yep. The president of the Owls, 
who basically put out there that he was doing, he was trying to circumvent the salary cap. Um, and then, you know, you hear about some of the other things he was doing. You're just like, how did he last this long? Um, now, yeah, I, I think it was Herb, uh, Herb Zerkowski who tweeted out yeah. that the league was the one who wanted him gone. I mean, look, if the guy is circumventing the cap, the league is not going to want, is going to want him out. So that, that doesn't surprise me, but you also hear the losses that Montreal is making too. Like this is a team that cannot afford to be as bad as they are now. I mean, granted they've won their last two games despite all the, all these issues that have come up, but this is a team that can't be uh, be at the bottom of the league and and losing revenue like they've had like they have. I think the bottom line uh, to uh, offer my uh, view of this situation, Davis Reed was always on the way out. In my opinion, I was never a firm believer or had a very strong opinion of his stewardship of that team. Uh, I also, um, and, and the reason I say that is because uh, the decisions that he made, he made multiple decisions that affected the team financially, you know, adversely, and then also organizationally problematic. And he wasn't a guy that was, uh, how can I put this, media friendly, you know, and and all those things are necessary. And as much as the team floundered, you're right, the debts and, and the inability to sell the game. And, and, and whether that's his job or not, we can debate, David. But the fact is, what you're saying is totally true and spot on, that this is an organization that cannot afford any negatives, any negatives. Um, they can afford even less than Toronto can afford it. If, if, if you have to look at the Argonauts and the Alouettes and said, which one of these teams can survive better being at the bottom, it definitely would be Toronto, which coincidentally, coincidentally they find themselves in that position. So, yeah, I, I, you know, Herb Zowski is um, the Frank Zeccarelli of the Toronto Argonauts uh, of the Sun, and, and they are the guys who hear what, what happens first. You know, there's a few people that uh, that are in our business that get to the root of the issue faster. And uh, he is one of the guys. You can pretty much trust what he has to say. You may not like he said some things over the years that people don't like, but liking what a man has to say or a reporter has to say is not, you know, um, the primary directive of being a reporter. Now, that doesn't mean a reporter doesn't have responsibility. He does. But in, in, in the event of facts and, and, and being able to trust uh, the person uh, with the information that you're getting, that's most important. And uh, quoting him pretty much uh, tells it like it is. So, so yeah, I agree with you. They cannot, they cannot afford missteps, especially missteps that lead to losing money and being fined for going over the cap, whether you do it surreptitiously or you know, under the watchful eye in this case of the Canadian Football League, it ain't going to happen. It's verboten. Yeah, and and the big thing is, you know, apparently there's new ownership that's going to be coming in, or ownership like people are starting to dig into the uh, the books to see and to see this this financial loss that we're talking about here. 
It's not going to sit well for them. I mean, the benefit the Argonauts have right now is they're owned under MLSE, who basically print money with how the other teams are are succeeding. So for them, the Argonauts, they're doing the Argonauts a favor by you know giving them that chance to kind of go about their business. They have their budgets, obviously, but they're not pressuring them into um, you know trying to get these things turned around because of the financial reasons. Like this isn't like you know Montreal where the league is trying to get an owner in and the owner's not going to like what uh, what's been going on. And I think that was part of the reason. I mean that was a big reason I think why Reed was let go because this type of stuff just will not fly under whatever wh- whichever owner takes uh, takes over. And then you just it's it's not a good look for the CFL considering, you know, uh, I know that they just recently took ownership. Maybe this was something that they realized was going on and they decided, look, this cannot continue. We're going to take over and we're going to make things right. And, you know, ever since, I mean, I can't remember the last time the Owls ever were, I mean, for years the Owls were like the crown jewel of the CFL and now they've just really taken a, a beating the last few years. And it's, it's tough to see because, we know, and I know uh, people in that market. I've seen that market thrive for years, and just for it to get to this point is is pretty. It's pretty disappointing for sure. Absolutely, I think I, I'm going to have a technical issue. It looks like we're going to go off the air in a few seconds. Uh, New York is cutting me off, and I don't think they mean to, but they've just uh, there. It is. <laughs> they they think I only want to do a 15 minute show, David. Oops. So we'll have to uh, try this again. I, I I don't know what to do to to correct the issue. Uh, okay. Well, it, yeah, it, it's it's an important issue. It's one that needs to be taken care of, and, and hopefully it will be taken care of. Goodness knows uh, whether it can be or whether it can't, but that's uh, the way it goes, I guess. Well, listen, David. Thanks for you, you know thanks for being on for 15 minutes with me. I, I really appreciate it. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> I hope you have a good night the rest of the way and uh, have a good one. For those of you that uh, were willing to hear, waiting to hear what we had to say, well, the Argos lost, that we know. Uh, also, we saw that, um, that Edmonton, Edmonton beat BC, looked great. Winnipeg looked great beating Toronto. Montreal was not a surprise, in my opinion, maybe a surprise for others. And, of course, Hamilton bounced back from uh, what might be considered a, a horrible loss to them the week before. So, um, we'll see, uh, what we can do, David, is, uh, we can continue on and, and see how long it goes before it, it shuts me off. So, uh, that, that's what was, what's happened so far. Um, you know, we, we, we spent a lot of time talking about what, uh, about the game and, and talking about what makes it work. Um, the Cavis Reed thing is something that can't happen. That that's, that's gotta go. What about these games that are not close? How hurtful do you think they are uh, for the league at this point that is suffering financially right now in as far as seats being filled by fans? Yeah, I mean, it's one thing to... It's a lot easier to sell a product where teams are being are competitive and the games are close. I, I do believe that. I think you're, you found something there. Um, I mean, look, you look at a team like the Argos, like the Owls. I mean, even the Tyke. I mean, the Tyke a little different. They've got the, one of the more loyal fan bases in the league, along with the Rough Riders. 
But, you know, these small market teams, fans are not going to go out if the product is not going to be worth paying the money for. I mean, you can discount your tickets as much as you want, but if uh, the atmosphere is, uh, you know, you lose your atmosphere every time it's a blowout, and that's just not going to work. I mean, it's going to be good for a team like Winnipeg, who's blowing out uh, a team like the Argos, and their fans are getting a good uh, chuckle out of it, but um, yeah, there is something to be said that when you have more competitive, especially trying to get those East teams, I mean, luckily the Ticats beat Calgary, so that kind of helps them, but to see these West teams continue to dominate the East, the West the West fan bases get a little annoyed because the East teams still get that, uh, what they feel is an advantage whenever it comes to the Grey Cup, getting kind of the easier route, as they say. So I think that's something the league needs to look at. It's trying to figure out that competitive balance. It's something that every league struggles with. It's not just the CFL, but when you have such a small, you know, just the the small cluster that the CFL has with the only the, the with the number of teams they have, something has to give on you know trying to figure out a way to keep uh, to keep some sort of I guess parity is what we're we're kind of discussing here in that. They tried to do that with the coaching salary cap, which, funny enough, screwed the Argos more so than, you know, when you're trying to think of, you know, trying to give some teams some uh, sense of, you know, trying to have a level playing field. And then you, a, a big market team like the Argos, who have a rich owner, can't put the resources. Like, the big reason why a team like the Raptors, the Leafs, are getting to where they are is because they put so much money in the back end, you know, in the front office, in the management. But now you took, take that away, it it impacts what your team can do. I think the CFL, they're trying to create a level playing field. I don't know if they're going about it the right way. Um, they have their way of doing it. I understand that. I mean, they they have more experience running a football league than I do. But I don't think it's helping the way I think they are envisioning right now because the teams that they need to be successful and need to be close are the ones that are not doing right now. BC, Toronto, Montreal, those three teams have been disappointing. I mean, more so BC and Toronto, and that's just not going to help the CFL, especially with its uh, viewership and its attendance. The the issue is clear, uh, is the big market cities in the Canadian Football League aren't doing well. Uh, the big market teams in Montreal, they, they're not, they, don't have the, they don't have the same wherewithal, of course, as you stated, the MLSC has. But here's the problem. The problem is the team, um, because of where it is, uh, it needs to be able to use its resources or they end up where they're ending up right now. I think the biggest problem with the Toronto Argonauts right now is coaching. And, and I believe that they've had to... Um, I know this doesn't sound very nice, but, you know, it's, I think it's a fact where because of the management cap and because of how much they have out there with Tressman, they really can't afford, uh, you know, they might have the big hirings like the OC, you know, the offensive coordinator, the head coach, uh, the defensive coordinator, but you referred to the back end, I'll call it depth in coaching, depth and resources for the organization aren't, aren't there, not because Ownership does not want to put it in. It's that they can't. Yeah, and the big thing is, I mean, I didn't mind the Corey Chamberlain hiring. I thought, you know, bringing him in, 
He's got, you know, credibility with the organization. He's worked with the organization before. But, I mean, a couple of things, too, is I remember Chamberlain was telling us that they didn't have minicamp. I mean, the CBA negotiations didn't help. They didn't have minicamp. Minicamp allows them to get some guys acclimated to the systems. You know, training camp is a bit different where a lot of it's about, you know, seeing what you have for your roster and trying to get everyone in, in integrated with the systems. But, yeah, the Argos are, if we're going to talk specifically them, it's, yeah, quite a bit of coaching hasn't gone the message through to the players, especially with how many mistakes we're seeing, you know, the special teams gaps from the loss to Winnipeg. Offensively, they look like, I mean, when they go up to the line and they're not knowing where they're going and there's a lack of communication and, you know, it seems very dysfunctional. And that, you don't want to see that, especially when, you know, what happened last year, you know, probably not a good look on the organization when you're the reigning Grey Cup champions and you only have uh, four wins and then to go from that to this, it's it's not a good look. Um, I mean, I I'm I feel bad for the coaching staff because of you know you it looks like there's frustrations there because they know there's a lack of execution, but it's also on them to figure out how can we get this turned around in the time we have to practice. I mean, that's another thing too is. Um, Practices are not a lot different than they used to be with uh, not having the pads. So, you know, it's not like you can run a full practice like other, like you used to be able to do. There's there's quite a few changes that this league has done that, you know, players wanted uh, to try to, you know, keep the players, you know, healthier. And, and I get that. I understand that it's valuable, but it also puts the coaching staff at a bit of a disadvantage too when you can't run – you know, your philosophy is the way you want to run your practices because of some of the limitations you have. Yeah, and, and this sounds like excuses being made, but the, the fact remains to just make it, uh, make the point uh, clearer and um, more understandable is that when it comes to players and having a cap, uh, the there is a bit of a difference. There are far more players to pick from and because they already just have mostly, you know, one or two year contracts and because they can walk away from the players contracts, but can't walk away from the management contracts, that makes a big difference on controlling your budget and then applying that budget. In other words, the money that you have left over that let's say Tressman doesn't get in his pocket because if, if for example, just, as an example, Ricky Ray had a contract, but I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, the contract, he retires, that's it. They're not obligated to that contract. Any other big star player that, uh, like, for example, um, um, uh, NBC, um, oh, my goodness. Uh, well, it doesn't matter. A, a, a big-name player on a team, if the team lets him go, they owe him no money. But a big-name coach, they still owe him the money. So therefore, they suffer on, uh, on on the basis of tomorrow and what they have left to spend tomorrow. And what it's going to do, what the management cap does, it dooms the team to a, a, a distance, a time, a, a, you know, a, a lack of opportunity to 
get the best coach out there that you can. Instead, you got to only get the one that you can afford. And that's not a slight on Chamberlain or any other coaches. Um, you know, uh, for example, in, in Montreal, you know, they fired their coach. They still owe him the money. He signed the contract. So they're dealing with that same handicap, David. So, and that's what I think is going to be the issue with the management cap compared to the players cap. It's the and money that doesn't, you can't refresh. No, you can't. And I think what the CFL is trying to do here is trying to make teams uh, accountable for, you know what, we don't want to be seeing this like this uh, back and forth of, you know, throwing coaches out, you know, constant changes. Like how many times have the Owls made a coaching change? You know, the Argos have been through three coaches now since 2012. Like, you know, or 2011, something like that. I can't remember when uh, Milanovic was there. But I think what the CFL is trying to do is they're trying to make teams realize we, we're not, we're done with this idea of you just throwing a coach out after a few games or constantly changing coaches. I think they wanted to make these teams realize, you know, you got to follow the mold of what, you know, a cal- like the cal- what Calgary has done in a way of what Edmonton has done, um, even now Hamilton's getting there, of keeping the, you know, keeping your coaching staff and giving them the chance to work it out and make the right hire. Don't just, you know, bring a guy in and be like, oh, let's see what he can do. No, bring him in and realize you're not going to get a, a redo button if you make the wrong hire. Make sure you're making the right hire. And it's, it's, I don't think it's the right way to go about it, but I understand what they're trying to do is they're don't, I don't think the CFL just likes this idea of constantly seeing coaching changes because there's no continuity with front office staffs. It, it seems like there's quite a few organizations that have had this issue the past few years. Well, they're, they're going to have those issues because, uh, you know, I've always said this in, in everything and in every sport, there are some owners that do a better job than others. And the owners that don't do as good a job – they need to do a good job or to do an acceptable level of, you know, a, 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 an acceptable level of success, they do have to spend more money because they're more mistake prone. So what you're saying is if you're the commissioner and if you're the Canadian football league, if you're an owner of the Canadian football league and you're not that good an owner and you're not that, you don't make the same kind of decisions as the best owners in the league do, you're going to lose. And to me, that's the problem that I have with it. And, and at, the end of the, at the end of all this, the whole point is having a better product out there. And having teams one and four, one and five, does not make for a better product from a league perspective. Never mind the Argo BC perspective, but from a league perspective. And, you know, Saskatchewan isn't doing that great either, you know, if you, if you really want it. But, you know, every year there are teams that are at the bottom. And every year there are teams that suffer deeply their record. And the hope is they bounce back, you know, the following year or another year soon, that they're not down there for long. Well, you know, when you eliminate the the Toronto Argonauts Grey Cup win, they haven't played well for a very long time, except for that what was a, a gift, really, that Grey Cup to the Argo fans. It was a surprise because the team wasn't that good that year. They played well at the right time, which is the end of the year, which they still have time to do today. Uh, and it's not, we know it's not impossible. 
So there's that hope for the fans, and that can motivate fans to continue supporting the team. It just makes it difficult when a team does not play well. They're 0-2 at home, and at home is where they should play their best because that's where their fans are. That's who they're selling tickets to. And that's a concern with the Toronto Argonauts. Uh, and, and, you know, and that'll be the concern with BC as well, that you know, the team has to play well at home. You can't have your fans leave disappointed every time they come to the stadium. It makes it less a, an, an attractive um, you know, uh, uh, visit to the stadium. Yeah, I mean, I remember the Argos, I think it was 20, I'm trying to remember exactly, I think it was 2017, um, where they were better um, at, at on the road than they were at home. I'm just trying yeah, to remember yeah. the exact record. But I believe that was the case. Like, you know, they played really well on the road, which, I mean, you just you don't want to see that. You want to see your team play at its best. You know, at home. I mean, I look at a team like Calgary, who always seem to play well at McMahon. Um, Winnipeg usually plays well in Winnipeg. Like, you want to see your team uh, excel in those situations. So, if I'm, it's a really tough thing because you know, yeah, you're 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 right in that the big market teams are the teams that seem to have the more wealthier owners. Tend to make more mistakes. It also just means they're not they're 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 thinking about can we get better now? They're not about you know the process of trying to take your time and and work through everything. Um, I don't know if you uh, read um, on the Athletic this week. Sean uh, Fitzgerald spoke with uh, um, uh, Bill Manning, the Argos president. Uh, and kind of how the team, how the organization is taking this, because uh, we haven't heard from them. This is the first time I've heard. I mean, hey, I, I didn't know he was available to be talking to the media. I guess. I mean, you just have to make that clear. You want to talk to him, but he uh, he made it known that he wants to give um, you know time for Corey to have his his chance to try to you know turn things around. He, he, I'll read the quote. I want to give Jim and Corey every opportunity to succeed, but I do challenge them, and Jim knows and Corey knows at the end of the day that's what our business is about. So he wants to give them a chance to succeed. He also says my patience, I, I would say my patience is long. Um, he also said how does it, if they're getting blown out constantly, like they are right now, and if this continues, this is where I think you're going to start seeing some impatience, rightfully so. I mean, to see a team constantly getting blown out is not good. I'd rather, and I mean, it's tough. You don't like losing, but I'd rather see them lose 18 to 17, where you know they've been close and they're trying. If the game was close, rather than see them getting blown out 64 to 14, I think that's what the organization wants to see. Is there's some sort of progress. Um. So I, I don't mind when organizations can be a little impatient sometimes, but if it's becoming a consistent thing, you know, year after year, then I think you can start pointing fingers. And I think this is where the CFL is potentially saying, some of your owners are getting a little too trigger happy when it comes to hiring and firing. And you got to show just a little bit of patience with whatever plan or if you have a plan in place. 
Well, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I have to say this uh, with your quote. Again, this, this is we can use this as a perfect example. What option does Manning have? He fires his coach or he fires his general manager. What money does he use to hire the next one? Yeah, and I don't. I'm personally, I don't know what they, what they have. This is the thing. A lot of leagues now, you know what your team has to spend or what they're spending on certain areas. Um, I mean, some organizations keep hush hush. Sometimes the numbers get out, but we have no idea what the Argos are spending on Corey Chim. I mean, is it our right to know? No, not really. But when you're when you're league saying we're putting in a cap, you have to keep to this cap, or there's going to be penalties or things like that. The family should know. You know how much you know how much does a team even have a chance to make any changes? Like how, what penalties? What are they going to face if they try to make a change? Th- there's a lack of transparency there. I think that's what you're getting at there, Frank. With that, is if even if they want to make a change, can they even do it? Do they even have? Does the league even give them the flexibility to do it? And I, I think yeah, that's a that's a question worth asking. Well, it's one that maybe I'll ask them this week because. I I know I think I know it's a rhetorical question because I think I know the answer. I'm hoping I'm wrong, but what can what can Bill Manning do? Uh, like if he fired, having already fired the head coach last year, a very expensive, top of the line head coach, big reputation, big salary, fired him, and they're still paying him because he was on a three-year contract, right? Now he fires a GM who's on another. I think he's got a couple of years on his contract. Where do they get the money? As much as the the league wants to control uh, how much teams spend on 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 coaching and and management, they are dooming some teams to failure because some teams just don't have it right. It's not hard uh, if if you're the Calgary Stampeders, it's not hard for you to control your coaching budget. You're set. If you're Hamilton, it's not hard to control your coaching budget. Budget. You're set. If you're Winnipeg. You're set. And 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 now uh, now I think uh, as much as we loved to say that every CFL team uh, needs a quarterback to win, they also need a set coaching staff. Now that becomes another priority because having a set coaching, there, there are limited opportunities for set coaching staffs. It's that simple. Because not every set of coaches can be successful. Never mind. Never mind. Just you know, um, looking at it from a team perspective. Just generally speaking, you're going to have nine sets of coaches. Are all of them going to be the same success? Have the same success? Yeah. I mean, I, I just don't know what you put this in, and I don't even know if enough teams are going to. I mean, if I'm some organization, I'm complaining about. It. I'm telling the league. You think that this is having one result, but eh, it's not having, I think, the result you were hoping for. It's not improving anything really. So I don't know. It, well, it was I didn't like the rule. I didn't like it when they put it in in the first place, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna complain about it because it doesn't affect me whatsoever. But for the fans out there that are wonder are kind of left in wondering what exactly this how this inhibits the organization. I don't like that. I don't like the the keeping the fans out of the dark in that situation. The teams are handcuffed. 
The Argos are handcuffed at this point. Uh, the Owls, the Owls, fortunately from them, for them, the Owls, fortunately for them, were able to promote from within. And they had they had somebody who was ready to be a head coach, who was a coordinator, and and they I assume now, because we don't know this for a fact, he probably is is taking not a haircut but a home team discount because he's there, and he's not getting paid probably what a head coach could get paid I believe because the money's already been spent on the head coach for this year's budget. And that's what we're talking about, isn't that what we're talking about? With the, you know, with with the teams, if if James Wilder tomorrow is released by the Toronto Argonauts, how much do they owe him? Owe him after they release him on his contract? Well, the big thing about Wilder was how much of his um, his contract was paid in bonuses too. Right. Uh, let me see. Um, I can. I think I can figure that out actually, because somebody put in the numbers so uh let's see but isn't the point they can walk away from the balance of the contract probably yeah i mean but I they can't do like, that with management contract that's the point they can't no, do that with management no. contract they can't walk away from the contract like they can with the player a good, a good one to point out is also like a guy like sean lemon who right now is not going to start again this week um after being brought back, like, you know, you can release a guy like him. I, I mean, we've seen countless guys get released uh, before. I think, what, it's nine games, and then their contracts become guaranteed for the season. Like, um, yeah, the the CFL kind of eats the shoe a little bit in that, oh, you can't make, certain, you know, at, at a certain point, you can't uh, make, you, know, you can make changes with your players, but coaching staff, nope, that's off limits. No, it, it just it 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 the you know the numbers don't lie, David. The the method, uh, uh, the methodology of uh, of how you control the budget with management, how you control the put it. Let me let me let me let me see if I can do it this way. This rule that the, that the league instituted requires a change in contract, uh, the makeup of contracts for management now that I that is identical to players. The league has to bite the bullet. They got to do the other thing that needs to be done, or this doesn't work. And that is, they've got to give the team the ability to walk away from a coach's contract. You're fired. You're gone. And so is your money. It's what they have to yeah, do. I, it's what they have the, to do. There's, I, I, there's no, there's no second doubt about it. Or you know what? If you're, if the CFL wants wants to keep teams from doing those things, it's like. If you want to fire the guy, you got to pay him, but don't put it on the cap. That's the part I, I would say. If a team is going to fire a guy, you pay the guy the money that, uh, that you agreed upon on the contract, but to put it on the cap, I don't agree with that, at least. If you're going to fire a guy, pay him his money, or pay him, you know, you come to an agreement on based on your con- on the contract of what you're going to give give back or give to that person when you let him go. Right. Agreed. Well, it is, you know, it, it is, uh, it is an obvious issue that needs to be addressed, and uh, hopefully it will because this will doom teams for the length of contracts. You know, 
it's bad enough when you make a bad decision and you offer somebody top dollar. But how do you make a good decision when you don't have that to offer to a, a prospective coach or GM? You know, that's that's it. That's it. And coaches aren't taking discounts either to come here. No. Uh, but if um, if the league as a whole says contracts are no longer guaranteed and coaches can only be on one-year contracts, that's what they have to do. And the coaches that come here have to go, oh, well, do I want to coach here or not? You know, there aren't that many coaching opportunities, um, you know, in the world of football. Uh, And I believe there are coaches that are here, and yes, they come here because of the money. But the fact is, if the league doesn't think coaches and and, uh, GMs deserve the advantage of of guaranteed contracts, then they're, they're all in. The league, in this situation, this is they've pushed all their money into the center of the table. You know, and and now we're going to see what, you know, what comes down, what hands come down. You you, you know what I mean? Like, we both, I think we both agree, we don't know how this is going to turn out, but we both know um, there is a cause and an effect here by this rule change. We just don't know, um, we know what kind of effect there is, we just don't know how deep it is. Yeah, and and honestly, we won't know until... Teams really start to struggle with uh, when they want to start making some real changes. Which the Argos are in the midst of doing right now. You know, the, the, the question, you know, Fitzgerald asked that question. And it's been, you know, I want to be patient. It sounded to me you said. So that means there's already consideration that patience is being strained, Correct. And and mm-hmm. Bill Manning sits in the stands and watches these games, and he's there. You know, it's not just about them doing it in front of the fans. You're doing it in front of ownership around the fans. Yeah, I mean, you, you, every, you know, for coaching staff, general manager, it's not, you know, yeah, you're right. You, every game is being, uh, you know, looked at by management, by ownership. I mean, Bill Manning is the representative of the owners. That's why he's the president, so... You know, it's not just you're trying to get uh, you're trying to make an impression on him. You're trying to make an impression on ownership, and it's not been a good one so far. Yeah, and it's not going to be okay. Let, let's let's flip uh, the script here and and let's go to the games um, and and how uh, they looked uh, this week. General comment first of all about this week. Um, how did you feel about about the week as it as it uh, as it came into this week, uh, the issues that were, uh, you know, generally speaking, we have an issue with quarterbacks being injured. Is that is that something that is of concern to you early in the season? This early in the season, them going down this quickly. Yeah, I mean, I look at. Um... I mean, Winnipeg almost lost um, Matt Nichols, you know, Nichols again against the Argos. It was, I think, a knee injury this time around. Um, you know, Edmonton again with, uh, I mean, Trevor Harris. Uh, we know in Ottawa that's not an injury thing. It's more just we we got to try to get things back on track. And then, 
I mean, we've, we're still seeing the impact uh, Calgary's feeling with Bull Levi out. You know, Arbuckle hasn't been bad. I mean, but he hasn't uh, looked fantastic in my eyes. He's been he, he had a pretty decent game against Hamilton, but again, not good enough. Yeah, it is concerning because you know, a how much do teams we talk about investments? How much do teams invest in their quarterbacks? I mean, you look at what BC is investing in Riley. I assume Bo Levi is getting a pretty handsome salary in Calgary. Trevor Harris also in Edmonton. Like these guys are being paid. Uh, teams are struggling to figure out a way to uh, to protect them. I mean, BC is allowed for 17 sacks in four games. That's quite a bit of time for Mike Riley to be on the ground, especially, you know, he's getting older. He's not exactly, you know, he's had his, his injury concerns before. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a problem. You don't, want, you don't want to see quarterbacks being taken out uh, in in any way, shape, or fashion. I mean, injuries happen, things happen, but if it's happening across the board, it does get a, a little concerning. Well, I, I, you know, as far as Bo Levi Mitchell, and and you know, if you put a guy on a six game, you get relief uh, on uh, on the cap. So the money that they're paying him uh, gets taken out of the cap, and they can spend that money somewhere else. So they can, you know, do something in that regard. Uh, to you know, beef up the team in a different area to make up for the the quarterback being out. But still, you know the game that they lost against Hamilton, Bo Levi Mitchell easily could have been a difference maker. But every team goes through injuries, so Hamilton deserved that victory. No one here is going to take away the victory that that Hamilton got there. Uh, it was a an interesting game to say the least. But we'll get to that one. Uh, after we talk about the first game, which was on Thursday, uh, which featured the Edmonton Eskimos in British Columbia, uh, winning 33-6. to uh, I have to tell you, um, it's amazing how quickly Trevor Harris, it's like, if there's any proof that a quarterback has a positive impact on a team or has uh, an impact on a team, he can literally put a team on his shoulders and or, um, collect the kinds of numbers that he does immediately coming to Edmonton after leaving Ottawa and even back further when he was in Toronto the short time that he was a starter. He has been a consistent yard-creating quarterback, you know, high numbers. And his uh, ability to not throw interceptions, his level of accuracy, um, he's inherited the Ricky Ray um I, you know, he is the new Ricky Ray, in my opinion, minus the the championships, which may be in front of him shortly. I mean, he studied under Ricky Ray for a couple of years, so I think he's got a pretty good sense of how, of what it takes to succeed in this league. And you also look at who his coach is. I think uh, Trevor Harris and Jason Moss were a good fit. They were when they were together in Toronto, so they were there was that familiarity there. And, you know, I, I never doubted what Trevor Harris could do, especially in Edmonton because of who his, again, who his coach was. Um, I'm just really surprised of how much they've given BC a lot of trouble. Um, you know, to, to beat a team 33-6. to six, I mean, the Argos have had their offensive struggles. Uh, BC is, this, this is not something that should be happening to them. 
I mean, Mike Riley had 157 yards passing. Um, they only had 53 yards on the ground. Like, you know, I don't know if it's, um, you know, just trying to get everyone on the same page there or if it's, you know, I mean, I'll, obviously the the number of times you see uh, Riley on the ground, that's not going to help either. But it, that's a very concerning um, when you look at, BC was supposed to be the team to really push forward against uh, Calgary this season. And they have looked anything but that. I think five sacks they allowed this game. It's, it's that yeah. is not, no, definitely not good. The, 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 the problem, the problem in BC right now is the offensive line uh, for multiple reasons. The offensive line isn't giving the quarterback an opportunity to make anything go. And because of the offensive line, the running back, who's, uh, you know, this John White is not, uh, you know, an unknown commodity. We know who he is. We know what he's capable of. Yes, injuries, you know, derailed his career in Edmonton, and now he's looking for an opportunity to be resurrected. Uh, is his health the issue, or is it the offensive line? Bottom line is, if the quarterback doesn't get time to throw the ball, then and if he's on the ground, nothing good can happen for that team. And if, if there is no running game, that just puts more pressure on the quarterback because there's no fear of the running game. So this is a perfect example of why teams lose. The statistics tell us why they're losing. You know, um, you have a quarterback that doesn't throw a touchdown but throws an interception. That can't be good. You know, the, the touchdown to, re, to interception ratio, it's not a ratio. 0-1 is not a ratio. So, you know, it's only bad news. And, you know, the receivers are not, I mean, the receivers aren't accomplishing much because they're not getting the ball. They're not getting an opportunity. I mean, and Brawley, he only completed 65% of his passes. That's, that's way below standard for him. But, how much of that is, again, how much time he has in the pocket? Is he constantly scrambling? One thing he did against the Argos two weeks ago was that he left the pocket to go and make plays. Um, you know, he uh, his the running game finally got going. But, yeah, that offensive line has been anything but, uh, anything but good for them. I think, you know, when you make the big quarterback uh, signing, I usually think the next thing you do is you try to, get an offensive line that will complement. I mean, there's so many teams in the league where offensive line is not an issue for them, but in BC, it's their their biggest issue, no doubt. On the positive side for the the opposition, uh, the Edmonton Eskimos, we talked about Harris. Uh, C.J. Gable, um, you know, it is, is doing the job that he needs to do. Um, and then you have some young guys come in at Jay you know, who who led the team in yardage. He has been a pleasant a surprise for Edmonton. Yes. He's a, um, I know in the Tay, um, he actually used to, we used to do it when we did our podcast for Tip of the Tower. He was on it with uh, with one of the, our, I had just started with the site, and he was doing a podcast while he was with the Argos, uh, talking about sports and stuff. And you could tell this guy, Really, you know, the talent was there. Maybe the opportunity wasn't there because, you know, he didn't start a lot. 
but the uh, the the talent was there, and he showed. I mean, look, he's already almost matched his uh, yardage from last season. He's got two hundred six through four games. Last year, he had two fourteen in eighteen games. That just tells you some teams, you know, when you give guys a chance to make plays. I mean, he's twenty nine. He's not a young guy, but he's a guy that's earned the opportunity, and he's making the most of it for sure. You for sure is right. And, and then you look at Martise Jackson, another ex-Argo, who ran two kickoff returns for 52 yards and an average of 26 yards. Uh, that means better field position. And that, again, you know, you take a good quarterback like Trevor Harris with a decent offensive line and a set of receivers, and that helps you produce, even though, you know, you look at his total yardage was under 300 yards, which is not a lot uh, for Trevor Harris. Yeah. Yet, you know, they got 33 points. So production is directly related to the team's, you know, the three phases of the game. And within the three phases of the game, there's three phases to the offense, right? And then, again, the same is true with the defense. So, you know, when we talk about defense, we don't talk enough about the defense, but um, Edmonton pressures the quarterback. They do an awesome job of pressuring the quarterback. You know, we talk about we talked about how you know we're neither of us is impressed with the offensive line in BC, but let's give credit where credit is due as well. The defensive line, Edmonton's defensive line, is a very aggressive, big, and mobile group of players, and uh, they impose their will on the opposition, and they've done that, and they did that against BC. Yeah, they definitely did. Um, I've, I've been impressed. I mean, Edmonton has something to prove after last season, so um, I've been impressed with what I've seen from them, especially offensively. More so defensively. I mean, they've had... Their defensive line has brought a lot of pressure on the quarterback. Uh, I like I like what they've done there, um, but yeah, I I've been impressed with Edmonton. I don't think, still don't think they're the best uh, team in the uh, in the West, but they're definitely going to give Calgary a, a real fit for number two uh, in the West Division. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, they are they are a favorite, as they have been the past few years. You know, uh, a couple of years ago it was because they had Riley as their quarterback, and they won a great cup. So they've been a good team. For years now, it's not like this should not be a surprise. The only surprise is that the transition from Riley to Harris has been much smoother than many might have thought. Um, the, you know, there, there's been literally um, no no ramping up of the offense. The offense from day one has been effective. Yeah, I, I mean, I didn't have doubts of whether they could be effective, but yeah. Generally, when you a new quarterback is with the new team, you want you want to see more. You know, you expect to see some, you know, growing pains or just some pains of trying to get things together. But um, I, I've I've been impressed with how yeah as smooth as it's been over there because they're one of the few teams with the new quarterback that's excelled. Um, I mean, they're really, they're the only team with the new quarterback that that's excelled uh, so far this season. So. Maybe it's proof that it's not. If you get the right quarterback, 
If you're willing to go after the big guy, the big fish, it'll pay off. Absolutely. Game two on Friday, July the 12th, was between the Toronto Argonauts and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. It featured a Winnipeg victory of 48-21. to 21. Um, They were full value for that, for, for that victory. Um, it was a tale of two halves for the Toronto Argonauts. Uh, the first half was the have-not, and the second half was the have. All of a sudden, um, they, they discovered Darrell Walker, something that many of us were anticipating would be uh, what this team had to offer from day one. Uh, it finally, or at least, you know, two touchdowns, 188 yards, uh, it, you know, 13 attempts, nine catches. Uh, they went to him, and uh, it, they finally realized he needed to be under the nose of Bethel Thompson so that Bethel Thompson could see him. Playing him on the wide side of the field was not working, and they, they finally decided to change the tack, and they went to the short side of the field, and things seemed to work out from that point on, David. Well, and also putting him inside also left. I mean, what, the one thing that Yargo was much better job of was getting the mismatches. I mean, on those uh, touchdowns, Walker was either wide open or he had a single guy that he was able to beat. So Winnipeg, I mean, Winnipeg also in the second half decided defense wasn't a big issue for them. I and mean, they had some injuries too, but um, their defense really let, uh, let, let some steam off. You know, they took their foot off the gas until uh, later in the game where they decided yeah, – the Argos are getting a little bit of momentum here. We have to take care of that. But that's probably the only positive I'll take from that game for the Argos is they got Darrell Walker going because nothing else was pretty. The special team no. was god-awful. To allow, to be down 14 nothing, and I think the Winnipeg only had one one snap on offense. That's the right. The defense is only out for one play. That is embarrassing. That's more than embarrassing. That's inexcusable. And it's it's a tale for a couple of games this week where special teams really bit uh, some teams in the ass. And for some teams, it changed momentum. And Winnipeg grabbed the momentum right away, and the Argos seemed out of it right after the second touchdown, which, yeah, you give up a touchdown on the first play, on the first play of the game, but that should not make it the end of the world. And it seemed like, the team lost their mental focus after that first touchdown. Absolutely. Absolutely. They did. They did. And and they have every every right and every opportunity to improve. But that improvement, again, um, in this game at least, again, was stunted by a great, one of the better teams in the league. Winnipeg, to me, is, uh, and I think it, consensus says, they are a favorite to win the Grey Cup this year. They are definitely... Um, you know, uh, one of, of three favorites. Uh, if one, uh, it might be too early to give up on Ottawa because they've had a couple of missteps recently or too early to, to Dane the Montreal Alouettes as a contender, but you still have Hamilton. You still have Calgary. You know, you don't, you can't win the Grey cup until the defending champ is out. And, and then, you know, uh, you know, the, it, it, it is, uh, it, it is going to be interesting when you have Edmonton and Winnipeg, I think at equal odds, in my opinion, at this point, if I give power rankings, we can do that if you like. And, and Hamilton in there. Uh, so, you know, it's not a bad situation to be in. 
and uh, to be an Argo team losing against Winnipeg, that's not such a sad thing. I mean, you know, and and this Winnipeg team, this this lucky Whitehead, you know, he he didn't he didn't have um, the kind of game he had in the past. He only he only caught six passes for 38 yards, but now people are keying in on him. You know, this is what football's all about, right? Yeah, I mean. You don't necessarily have to have the impact. Uh, he's proven you don't have to have the impact when you're on the offensive side of the ball. Special teams, this is Winnipeg's specialty. Mike O'Shea's specialty. He came into his, into his coaching career as the special teams coordinator, and um, they remain one of the better special teams, uh, special teams clubs in the league. Uh, so... I, I knew White, Lucky Whitehead when he was in the NFL. Uh, this is a guy that decided he wanted to get an, an opportunity up here in the CFL, and get, and you know it's funny his his jersey sold out in the Winnipeg Blue Bomber store. They really like this guy, um, and deservedly so. He's he's provided big plays, and that who knew that if you had big plays against. Uh, you know, if you put up big plays, if you have, uh, you start to become popular with your new fan base. So I like that. I like Lucky Whitehead. I, I mean, Winnipeg always finds these guys that can be, make explosive plays, and um, power to them for uh, for giving a, you know a guy an opportunity where uh, maybe he wasn't going to get anywhere else. Um, is it? Is it as much, and and can we not finally uh, realize and admit and promote the idea that great players need to be in great situations? I mean, yeah. I mean, there's. I, I've seen too many times where a team will go after a guy because you know, especially in football, one guy does not uh, make or break a team. It's the group, and and this is the thing that. Every football player says we li- we win or lose as a team. Well, right now it's become too much of a highlight, especially if you're thinking of when you look at the Argos. It's become too much of a highlight on one player is not getting the ball, one player is not having. It's not you know. And Darrell Walker that's made what losing, point That's what losing does. That's what losing does. Yeah. Losing losing raises like makes the negatives bigger and the positives smaller. It's just the way it is. Yep. Losing ruins the atmosphere on a team. You, you win as you lose as a. It's funny, like you. All the guys will talk about when they win. It's you know we we win or lose as a team, and then when the losses start to pile up, it's always the one guy that gets bought, you know, put out in the spotlight, and it's it for the Argos. They got into the. They're in a little bit of dangerous waters where certain guys are being uh, pushed out of, being you know showing their frustration and it's all because the spotlight's being pushed on them because it's being more apparent and that's something the coaching staff has to has to nip in the bud. You can't let players um, you know frustrations get you know dictate how the uh, you know the moment. How's the best way to say this? Doesn't dictate how the team's play is or how the team is uh, underperforming as an as a whole as a group. Well, uh, bottom line is that again, 
uh, great players need to be in great situations. Uh, and, and just as an example, we talked about a Jay recently, and, and, and Martise Jackson, who the Argos released, traded, is doing fine in Edmonton. So, you know, we knew he was good when he was in Toronto, but he started to not look good. And then he was released, or traded, I'm sorry. And, and you know, this is what it's all about. The organization, the Toronto Argonaut organization, doesn't look real good right now. That is what it is. The, uh, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, I, I believe, um, are a really strong team. So, you know, as bad as the Argos looked on the scoreboard in this game, I don't think they were that bad. Um, you take those first 14 points and, and, and you eliminate those 14 points and, and the interceptions that, that uh, Bethel Thompson threw to uh, that led to points, and this is a totally different game. So it's about eliminating mistakes, and it's about having more of a positive feeling along that sideline. And then when they go on the field, that's what's lacking, and, and they can work on it. It's fixable. You know, these are all really what they've made and what they've done and, and the way they've lost has been really, I'm going to say, boneheaded mistakes. And boneheaded mistakes can be eliminated by these professionals. They just need the environment to eliminate them. Uh, but Winnipeg, congratulations. Full value, 48 points, not a surprise. They come at you in so many ways. They can score by running. Well, uh, forget score. They can move the ball by running, passing, and make decisions um, and do it defensively as well. You know, And their special teams are awesome. So... We'll see what happens up, you know, in the coming weeks, uh, how Winnipeg moves on and how the Argos move on. But right now, that game was a game that the Argos played poorly and made bad mistakes at the beginning that pretty much doomed their their fate in that game, David. But they were able uh, moral victories. Who believes in moral victories? The Argos had a few, if you believe in them. I don't think, unfortunately, when things aren't going right for your team, you don't really believe in uh, moral victories. I don't think, I, unless this team's mindset changes, the, these mistakes are going to really creep in and make them more frustrated. And uh, the, the coaching staff is trying to keep this away, on, you know, try to keep this off of individual players getting frustrated, but it's it's going to take a lot. Because, you know, the big thing for me is they haven't scored a touchdown in the first quarter all season. You can, I don't know many teams that have won this season getting off the starts like that. It's not going to make things any easier for them if they continue going down that path. Uh, no, not at all, my friend. It, it's, it's a concern to say the least, but it is a concern you know, that can be corrected. The next game we're going to talk about is the Montreal Alouettes uh, visiting the Ottawa Red Blacks. The Ottawa Red Blacks looked really good coming out of the gate this season, and then all of a sudden uh, they ran into the Montreal Alouettes. And uh, this team defensively is, you know, fantastic. And and they are literally, as much as I, I like Vernon Adams, it's William. It's this is William Stanback's team. This is they get on Stanback's back, and he can make a lot of stuff happen. And I think he's uh, deserves a lot of the credit. And the, while yes, we said earlier one player doesn't make a team, 
But this guy sets the table for a quarterback who's pretty good in Adams and a receiving core. You know, this Quan Bray, amazing. I mean, again, another one of these players that comes out and devastates the other teams and becomes uh, the highlight on game film for the opposition coming up the following week. He, he's been outstanding. Montreal has some star power here, and that's what helps the team win. They have, I think they've embraced everybody that has gone against them, that has said that they don't have a chance to be successful this season. Um, I mean, I was really impressed with their win last week, and I wanted to see whether they could stay hungry. They're a team that looks, I mean, I, we said this last week, they're a team that looks hungry. And Vernon Adams has had a lot of people doubt him, um, but he he had the game to show that maybe he's uh, he's starting to gain that confidence. I mean, I've, many quarterbacks will get a lot of confidence in them when they have a good running back behind them because they know that they can trust the guy behind him uh, to take the pressure off of him. And then, I, I, I mean, the Owls had a terrible receiving core last year. Like, guys that were not, dropping balls. I know there was that whole, you know, Johnny Manziel was the storyline there, and everyone was focused on him. But the fact that Devere Posey isn't even the best receiver on this team right now, I mean, I'm a big Devere Posey fan uh, for what he did with the Argos. And, um, yeah, I mean, there's just so much to like about this Montreal team. Um, if I'm a Montreal fan, I'm I'm enjoying every bit of the success right now because this is a team that ha- that is clearly putting together. You know, they're they're a close group. They seem to really have a common goal together, and they're really pushing forward together as a group. Um, let's see how they do against some maybe. I mean, Ottawa hasn't exact didn't exactly look good either, so I want to see how they do against a much better opponent in Edmonton, that's going to really test uh, how good they can they are or how good they can be because I, I think they're a team that's starting to figure it out. And B.J. Cunningham hasn't lost a step yet, still the big receiver that they've relied on uh, through the years and making the big catches at the big times. Very impressive. Uh, Eugene Lewis uh, look, looks good uh, I think he I think he draws a lot of attention, and that attention uh, leaves openings for Quan Bray, uh, and and I think that's that's the beauty of have of football. It goes beyond the stats. We can talk about the stats till the cows come home, but in reality, there's a lot of checks and balances that go on on the football field, and those checks are balanced out by the by the players who aren't being watched. These are all professionals. And the difference between one receiver and another is so slim. But if you give more attention to one of them, that other receiver gets opportunities. And if he takes advantage like Bray has this past season, only good things will happen. And, and, and that's, you know, that's the key to having a good team, to be able to occupy the defense if you're an offense and provide alternatives for the quarterback, whether it be a running game, whether it be receivers, whether it be the short passing game, whatever it happens to be. And Montreal can do a lot of that stuff because of Stanback. You know, he, to me, uh, again, um, 
I'm not giving him credit for everything, but he is a key contributor that helps loosen some of the other aspects of the game from the opposing defense. I love that guy. And, and, and you know, this is something that, that every team needs. And, you know, Andrew Harris um, does that from time to time, but he's always under the watchful eye of every defense. Every defense spends a lot of time discussing Andrew Harris. And now they're probably spending a lot of time talking about William Stanbeck. And in this game, in this game, the Red Blacks did a great job of minimizing Stanback. You know, they, they, they went in, they got him in the backfield quite a few times. I was very impressed with the defense that Ottawa provided uh, to ensure that Stanback didn't get more than 100 yards, David. Yeah, I mean, they... You, when you see a guy have a big breakup performance, every defense, every team is going to be like, okay, let's make sure he doesn't do this to us. And, yeah, while he didn't have the same output as he did against Hamilton, he's still pre- pretty good to for anybody's standards. I don't care who you are. I mean, to see what he did against uh, Hamilton was anything – like it was probably the most dominant performance I've seen from a running back in a while, not just the yardage, but the t- the touchdowns. Because very rarely do running backs score touchdowns in this in this league, unless they uh, unless they break free at times. But um, yeah, I, I continue. I like running backs who know that they can be a difference maker and you know can make those breakout plays. Um, you can also credit the offensive line for. I mean, every running back will credit the offensive line for giving the the holes that they need, but yeah, I'm, uh, I, I've been impressed with, uh, with what he's been able to do and, and, and merge when nobody was even talking about him. Absolutely. Totally correct. And as far as the opposition, the Ottawa Red Blacks, they look good at times. Uh, unfortunately, uh, I guess, uh, the book is out on, on Dominique Davis. Uh, he threw an interception, no TDs, 